Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Uh, I can't remember if I said it. My name's Nick Van Ruth. I'm one of the pastors here at Hills Baptist. It's great uh, to be joining with you today. Thanks for coming in school holidays, the remnant. Uh, thanks to those joining online. It's great to be with you. Um, yeah, we do pray for a youth group and, um, and yeah, the service at Essia. It's great to be part of God's people today, dwelling together, worshipping together. It's been a very interesting week, though. Um, unless you've been living under a rock, you've probably heard about uh, the Essendon ex-CEO, um, Andrew Thornburn, uh, and... Um, uh, he was uh, appointed as the CEO of Essendon, and then on day one, he was uh, he resigned. He was given the choice either to remain at Essendon or to remain uh, on the board of the church he went to, City on a Hill, Melbourne, a church very similar to us that believes and teaches the same things we believe and teach. He was given that choice. And he decided to stand firm on his convictions and he resigned. And this uh, started a flurry of discussion in the public centre. It's a flurry of discussion within Christian communities of what does this mean? That someone in, in this public uh, position being forced to choose between effectively his Christian convictions or his position of leadership. And um, so my son might be joining me in a minute or not. <laughs> but it's, it's raising this issue for us of the cost of discipleship, of following Jesus. What does that mean for us? And the cost is increasing. The cost is, is changing for us. And look, if we're honest, it's, we're really just catching up to the rest of the world. But it doesn't make, that doesn't make it any less significant what uh, disciples of Jesus, the decisions we need to make, the sacrifices we'll need to meet, make, uh, the stands we'll need to make. And it, it, it brings us, uh, if the cost of discipleship is increasing, it brings us to this question of what is a disciple? What, what's the point of being a disciple? What is the nature of disciple? What's the nature of the relationship between the disciple and the teacher? And that will help us think through what is it worth the cost? Now, growing up, um, I, I had a, a, an idea of what a disciple was, a follower of Jesus. And I thought a disciple is someone who does. A disciple does. Um, and essentially, someone who believes the right things and does the right things, lives the right way. And I don't think that was explicitly taught to me, but that's the message I received growing up, and particularly at uni and, and like that young adult stage of my life. It was all about how much can I do for God? And I wasn't entirely wrong, but I wasn't entirely right. 
And uh, so I felt this pressure to perform as in, in, as in I, I need to be a really good Christian and live that out. I need to, you know, tick off the read my Bible and tick off pray and tick off evangelize and tick off and do all these things to demonstrate how great a Christian I was. And I said the right stuff. I did the right stuff. And, and you know, when, when I prayed and read the Bible, I felt really good about myself. And I wanted other people to know, you know, how, how good a Christian I am. And with this attitude came problems, came issues. There was this expectation that things would go well for me if, I'm, uh, if I did everything right. There was that feeling of, of pressure and even, even guilt of doing more and more. Is it ever enough? There was uh, this sense of justification, of justifying uh, my bad behavior in one area of my life because look how great I'm doing in this other area. And there was this feeling of frustration, of wanting to grow and, and to grow as, as a person in my character and, and doing all these things, reading the Bible, praying, talking to people, but still not seeing growth, still not experiencing transformation as I, as I saw in the lives of others or expected for myself. Kept on returning the same place, making the same mistakes, hitting that wall. And a friend of mine um, had, had a similar attitude, but slightly different, doing a lot for the Lord. We, we like led youth together or junior youth and uh, we were really close friends. But then he started, he went through some really significant uh, health things. And... Uh, he came to a point where he left the faith because he, he said to me, and as we we're talking, journeying through it, we caught up and, and he said to me, I can't imagine a God who loves me who would ask me to endure this. And that was it. He couldn't, couldn't imagine a God who would expect that from him. Because he... he his understanding of being a disciple is someone living out in the blessing of Jesus, living out from Jesus. My understanding of being a disciple was living for Jesus, doing things for Jesus. But something I've been learning over the last few years as I've been um, uh, diving deep into God's Word and, and learning from this community and others around me, and hearing from the Spirit, what I've been learning is that a disciple is not someone who does. A disciple is someone who dwells, dwells with Jesus, someone who belongs. And perhaps it's a subtle difference. And it, on the outside, it might actually look very, very similar, those two approaches. But inside, it's transformative. It's transforming. Dan uh, introduced our, our, this little series last week, a brilliant message. If you haven't listened to it, please uh, go back. If you're listening to the podcast, pause, go back an episode, listen to Dan's first, come back. Welcome back. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> it was really good. 
Dan unpacking uh, the chapters of John uh, 13 through 17, this upper room discourse where Jesus took his disciples, gathered them to him, took them to a room he prepared, sat down, had a meal and had a discussion with them. Went for a walk and uh, leading to, uh, to a prayer he prays on behalf of the world himself and then his disciples. And Dan unpacks how these, this little uh, narrative in these chapters and the things Jesus talks about is, is like a, a model, a blueprint of the Christian journey. There's so much to gain from what Jesus says in these, in these few chapters about what it means to be a disciple. And in the middle of these chapters is chapter 15. After Jesus has this meal and he talks about uh, going and preparing a home for his disciples and that God would make his home in the disciples through the Holy Spirit, he goes and says, let's go for a walk. And he goes for a walk and on his walk, he draws attention to a vine, to a vineyard. They walk past vineyard. I love Jackie Grace uh, put this up early in the week. And so now everyone can look and see what Jesus is talking about, the vine and the branches. And he uses this illustration to describe the relationship between the disciples and the Father and the disciples and Jesus. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to have a look at this image and and think deeply about it and then think, what does it mean? How can we work this out? What does it mean to be a disciple? And is it worth the cost? So if you have a Bible, open up to John 15. I'll be jumping in and out and drawing attention to a few different verses here. The first verse uh, after, on this walk, Jesus um, says, He's left and he says to his disciples, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. When Jesus says, I am the true vine, he's referring to something the disciples would have been familiar with because they were Jewish. And in Judaism amongst Israel and the people of God, the the vineyard was an image of the people of God. Uh, particularly through the, the prophets, Isaiah and a bit in Jeremiah, they, they talk about uh, God planting a vineyard in order to produce fruit for His purposes and Israel being that vineyard. In Isaiah chapter 5, uh, it says, I will sing to the one I love a song about His vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up, cleared it out of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. When when Jesus says, I am the true vine, he's saying, I am the one that will fulfill God's purposes. God's planted a vineyard. And the image is used to describe God planting a people to produce fruit, to produce things and and works for His glory. We'll talk about what, what that fruit might be later. But these purposes of God is fulfilled in Jesus. God is the gardener. 
He's the one that plants a vineyard. The vineyard serves the father, the one planting it. It produces crops and profits for the gardener. Jesus is the vine. He is the one that exists for God's glory, that works out God's purpose. And here's where we get to quite an amazing mystery because Jesus is the vine planted by God to produce fruit and fulfill his purposes. And he does this through the branches. As we look at the vine, the fruit doesn't come straight out of the vine. It comes out of the branches. He does this work through the branches, through his disciples. Verse 5 says, Jesus repeats that line again. I am the vine. But he adds something else. You are the branches. The disciples are the branches. And so Jesus produces fruit. The vine produces fruit through the branches. Jesus is about to leave. He'll produce, he'll continue doing his work of producing fruit through the branches, through his disciples. But what is the fruit that God is looking for? What is, what does that mean when Jesus says, I'll produce fruit? It could mean a whole heap of different things. It could be uh, soul safe, people who come to a saving faith in Jesus, producing a, a crop, like he uses an analogy the seeds on the different grounds and producing uh, fruit and a harvest hundredfold. People who come to to know who Jesus is. It could be uh, the fruit of the Spirit, the God's character uh, worked out in the life of the Christian through the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit being love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, if the vine is, is a reference to Isaiah, Isaiah has more to say about the, fr- the vineyard and the fruit and what God is after. <clears throat> Isaiah 5 verse 7 says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice. He looks for justice from this vineyard, but behold, only bloodshed. He looks for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. The fruit God desired from the vineyard of Israel was justice and righteousness. But Israel was not achieving that. In fact, it was producing the opposite, producing bad fruit. But Jesus comes to bring justice to the world, to achieve righteousness for His people, a right standing with God, justice, all the wrongs in the world being made right. Jesus brought and lived out and did that work of justice and righteousness and now He's passing it on to His followers. Because think for a second the setting that we're in which Dan led us through before, but but I'll repeat. The context of where Jesus is saying this is this is the night before Jesus goes to the cross, the night he's betrayed and and he's brought um, before Pilate and crucified. 
And three days later, he rises again. And after that, he ascends. So Jesus is about to leave. And he begins chapter 14 by saying, I am going on. I'm moving on to prepare a place for you. Jesus is moving on. And he he gathers his disciples together in this upper room, in this really intimate moment where normally Jesus goes to other people's houses. But in this setting, Jesus, it's not his house, but he is the one that prepares this meal, this setting for his disciples. He brings them to him and he prepares them for when he's gone, when he leaves with this, this discourse, this discussion over these chapters. And they go for a walk together and Jesus is about to leave. He's about to submit himself to the will of the Father and die and rise again and then ascend. And the disciples will be left without him. And this is Jesus' last speech to them, his last talk before he goes to the cross. And so how are the disciples to survive without him? How Are the disciples uh, going to continue on the work of completing God's mission if Jesus isn't there? It's by producing the fruit that comes from the vine. By having a transformed life that bears the fruit of the Father. The fruit of being Jesus to the world. And the fruit, I think, is, is ourselves being transformed and conformed to the character and the work of Jesus. A disciple is someone who seeks to be close to Jesus, to be with Him. A, someone who, who does what Jesus does, who acts like Jesus acts, thinks like Jesus thinks, cares like Jesus cares. A disciple is someone being transformed to the image of Jesus, the image of Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I know it's a good point, isn't it, Noah? Later on um, in verse 8, uh, Jesus says, "This All this is to my... F- Sorry, this is to my Father's glory, pointing forward to what he says. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit and show yourselves to be my disciples. The vine produces fruit and that fruit shows itself to be Jesus' disciples, followers of him. But the only way that fruit can be produced if the branches are connected to the vine. This is a really simple image. We, We... We all get it. We understand this quite quickly because Jesus uses such a great image. A branch cannot produce fruit if it's not connected to the vine. Like we all get that. You don't need a horticultural degree to understand that. Like we need to be connected to the vine, produce the fruit that comes from Jesus, from, from the vine. Jesus says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. It's the vine that produces fruit. 
And even when we think, if we were to take a grape from the vine and, and we, we wouldn't say, look at the, the fruit, look at the fruit this branch produced. Even when I said it, I, like you say you take fruit from a vine, although technically you're taking fruit from a branch. But it's that reflection that the, the branch draws from the vine and produces what the vine is all about. The fruit, the character, the, the works, the righteousness, the justice that Jesus brings. It's the Father's work that Jesus did that He's now doing in the life of the disciple by being connected to the vine, by abiding remaining with Jesus, staying connected to Jesus, even when he's not there. Jesus left, his disciples remained. But they were to remain and abide and seek and dwell with Jesus. So how, how do we do this? This is 2,000 years later. How do we remain connected to the vine? And Jesus says this word many times, remain. Or um, other words to translate it could be abide or dwell. Very similar, it's the same root word as dwelling or house that Jesus prepares for his disciples in chapter 14. I've been reading a book recently um, that describes a a few different ways of how we relate to God. Um, uh, One way, and I I mentioned a couple at the start, one way we we think about our relationship with God, how we live uh, with God is we live from God. We live from Jesus. We live out uh, of the blessing uh, of God that God's greatest desire is that we flourish and everything in our lives should be great and awesome. We live, uh, we live for God. We live doing things for God so that, um, that He'd be happy with us, that He'd accept us, that we could um, uh, you know, receive from Him whatever we might desire. If we live, if we just do the right things, we do this, or maybe we need to we live for God so that it's enough for Him, and and so living for God. There's also living above God, that we feel we know better. We like the fact that God exists and that we can have a relationship with Him, but He's got to fit into our world, and so living above God. And there's similar living under God. He mentions was not on the screen. Um, uh, being oppressed of, of being forced to, oh, I must obey God's laws and must do all the rituals to, to make sure that it's enough and, and feeling that oppression of being under God and fearful of him in that way. But this, this author, Sky Jathani, uh, presents a different way of thinking of how we relate to God. We live with God, connected to the vine, And I live with God because He loves me and He has done the work to make that relationship possible. 1 John 15 verse 3 says, You are already clean because the word I have spoken to you. To be in the vine is not a work that we need to to achieve. We don't have to sort ourselves out before we can approach God and dwell with God. Jesus says, You are already clean. 
because of the word I've spoken to you. Therefore, remain in me as I also remain in you. So as we dwell with God, as we abide, seek to abide, we seek to abide with God, live with God, reimagining our frameworks of how we approach God and, and practicing the presence of God rather than the pretense or the process. And so what, that, what this might look like is, is as we open up the Bible, we read without an agenda. As a pastor, I read a lot of the Bible. You know, that's tick for <laughs> good that a pastor reads the Bible. Most of my Bible reading has an agenda, has a goal, has a purpose. I've got a sermon to write, so I read Scripture. I've got a Bible study to think about. I read Scripture. I've, I'm, I'm researching something, so I read Scripture. And, and, and this is what I did all throughout college, where we, we read the Bible with this academic um, sense of, of we need to gain something here. We, we've, we've got a, a purpose to achieve, so we read Scripture. And what's really hard and a practice I'm, I'm, I keep trying to grow in myself and I'm, I'm struggling with, but, but getting there is reading without an agenda. Reading to receive, rather reading to do. And something that, um, that I... I Another pastor showed me recently, I'm um, trying out, and different things work for different people, uh, is just opening up uh, what I'm reading in um, and just journaling, like just whatever comes, write that down. And none of that, that's not for anyone else. That's not for me to turn into a sermon. And that's for me. That is God speaking to me. Similar as we think about our prayer life, do we pray like God's a vending machine or do we pray to have a conversation with the God who loves us, the God that He's made us His children? If, if, if we're serving lots and we feel worn out and doing too much, remembering that what God actually desires is not our, is not our deeds, but us. God wants you, not what you can offer. Learning to listen to the Holy Spirit, learning to make space in our lives for, for silence. Uh, and then to repeat one of Dan's point last week, which I think was one of the best things he said, is doing it together. No one said you had to do this alone, that you had to sort out figuring out how to relate to God by yourself. And if, if reading the Bible and hearing from God is something that we struggle with, let's do it in community. Do it together. If praying is something that we struggle with, let's do it in community, doing it together. So one great way of doing that is life groups. So there's small communities that we meet during the week to do life together. But more important than that, to dwell and to listen to what God says through His Word. Next year, we're going to be uh, reinvigorating life groups, investing a lot of time and effort and input into uh, making all of our life group really healthy and really dependent on God, uh, really uh, great and effective at discipling each other. So look out for that. We'll be communicating more and more. 
But even just something that I've been doing with a few people and a few people here is uh, reading the Bible together in small groups. Three or four, opening up Scripture, reading it, talking about it. And I hear more from God through those interactions than I do by myself often. We don't have to do it alone. We can do these things in community. We'll keep moving on. The, the other thing that uh, the, the imperative, the, the um, command, the implication from um, uh, this image of the vine and the branches is the question, are we actually bearing fruit? Are we actually being transformed into the likeness of Jesus, the image of Jesus? If not, what's the missing link? Later on, uh, Jesus says in uh, 15 verse 2, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. If we're not bearing fruit, we're not being transformed, that it's harsh and scary. That branch is cut off. So if we're not bearing fruit, if we're not being transformed, what is the missing link? Later on, Jesus says in verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. To remain in Jesus, to remain in His love, He says, if you keep my commands. Now, at, um, in our house, uh, every night, well, we try every night, but almost every night we have bath time. Uh, and to make that a more fun experience for the kids, we have these bath toys. Um, and uh, often uh, what happens is we stick these on the side of the bath. We've got the funnel, a tunnel, and then the, the wheel. And if we... Uh, if we pour water down the, the funnel, it pours into and then spins the wheel. It's a very, very fun uh, experience to watch. And sometimes the kids enjoy it too. <laughs> but often, and I won't blame the kids for this, sometimes the, the tunnel's missing and you're pouring water down the funnel and then over here the wheel's not doing anything. There's a missing link. There's something that's not happening. I think when we think about, are we bearing through fruit? Are we being transformed? Often there's a missing link. There's something missing that, that's not happening, that's, that's hindering that transformation, that flow of life-giving water from the source into the transformation. We need to, uh, we need to receive the word from God. We need to abide and be in the word. And the, the, if we stick with the image of this, this uh, water wheel, the water is the life-giving spirit of God that transforms us. The tunnel is hearing the word, receiving it, and obeying, being obedient to what we receive from the Lord. Then we will see transformation. Jesus spoke of this often. Don't just listen to what I teach, but do it. When he sends his disciples out to make disciples, he says, therefore, go and make disciples, teaching them everything I've commanded you. That's not what he says. 
He says, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Uh, He talks about the man who builds his house on the rock as someone who hears the word and then puts it into action. And the one who builds his house on the sand that doesn't survive is the one who hears the word but doesn't do anything about it. If the funnel is the word of God through what we receive, the water is the spirit and the transformation that comes from that, the tunnel is obeying and listening and hearing and doing, then we will see uh, transformation. Or if we think about uh, related to the the vine imagery, imagery, our connection to the vine, the, the means by which we're connected to Jesus is through his word. John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. We're connected to the vine through the Word. The life that flows through the vine into the branch is the Spirit. It's the, it's the vine and the branches are all together one. And that's, that's through the Holy Spirit uh, living in the disciples' lives, living in you and in me. The branch's cooperation with uh, the life-giving flow through the vine is obedience. And the fruit is transformation. But society keeps putting more and more pressure for us to compromise, to compromise, to, to conform to the world, not to the word. It doesn't matter. It's too hard. No one will know anyway. And we've seen it this week. This constant pressure to separate our faith and how we live, and how we work. We say we won't bow to that pressure, yet yet even I struggle and wrestle with compartmentalizing of, of having great faith on a Sunday and great faith between me and God. And great, but when it comes when I, with my non-Christian friends, I don't want to bore them with this Jesus stuff or worse, offend them. And when... when uh, opportunities arise or a situation where I feel the prompting to say something, to stand up, it comes and oh, it's, it's just a bit hard or, oh, that's a bit controversial. I'll just let the opportunity pass. But it's not just that. We all feel the pressure to live the world's way, not the word's way. And we can't expect to be transformed if we're not living out what we receive from the vine? Are we reading the word? And are we obeying what it says? Now, this is not to earn the right to be with God. This is not to earn our our standing, earn salvation. Because Jesus says, you're cleansed by the word. We're able to be on the vine because of the work Jesus has done. But the reason to obey, the reason to, to live out what we receive from the Lord is to experience the transformational joy that comes from being with God. John 15, 11 says, I have told you this so that my joy may be, be complete in you and that your joy may be complete. So we follow Jesus. We obey what he says. Jesus promises that will be a life of joy. And so is there a missing link in our discipleship? 
Are we receiving the word? Are we hearing from the spirit? Are we obeying what it says? Are we being transformed? The last thing I'll draw from this passage is be ready for pruning. Uh, John 15, 2 says, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. So they'll be even more fruitful. Growing, uh, growing up, my attitude was if I'm fruitful, if I'm a good disciple, and if I do lots from God, I'll never have to suffer. Like God, God will be pleased with me and then he'll allow me to live a good life. And, and he won't burden me with, with things that will make my life harder so I can just keep doing more for God. But that wasn't my experience. My experience didn't meet my expectation. Uh, when we were engaged, Emily um, developed uh, Crohn's disease, quite serious um, autoimmune disease just before we got married. And then for the first five years of our marriage, we wrestled with uh, that health journey. Um, we struggled to have kids. And then um, when we did have kids, uh, they had both have significant health challenges. I didn't expect to suffer. I didn't expect any of this. And I would have thought God would have not given me these things so that I wouldn't be limited by these things so that I could serve him more and do all, even greater things for him. I thought it wasn't fair. I tried to control it by telling God what he should do, by, by even like changing my own behavior so that I could negotiate with God. If I read my Bible more, maybe this will improve this situation. But Jesus doesn't say the fruitful branches will be left alone. Jesus says the fruitful branches will be pruned so that they can become even more fruitful. How we relate to God determines what happens when we experience trials and challenges and suffering. If we, if we have this attitude of living for God, I'll do what I need to do so that God will be happy. Then when we experience suffering, it's unfair if we're living from God, living out the, the blessing that comes from the Lord, when we experience suffering, it's unexpected. If we're living above God that we know better, when we experience suffering, it's to be controlled, to be challenged. But if we're living with God, then we, when we experience suffering, we know we're suffering with Him. He is with us. And that will lead to transformation. James 1 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its works in you so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, James doesn't say that hardship and suffering and trials leads to growth. He says trials with faith leads to growth. Trials with God. We remain in him, trust him, will lead to transformation and more effective fruit, more than we could imagine or would have planned for ourselves. 
The cost of being a disciple is growing in Australia. We talked about that earlier. But the reward of discipleship is a life with God. A life connected to the vine. We belong to God. He has made his home in us. And he is transforming us into his image. And even if we experience suffering, even if we experience hardship, even if we experience persecution, we know that he is with us and we are with him. We don't necessarily know uh, what God's plan is, but you know what? We don't know any better. We, his ways are so much higher than our ways. It doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean that everything's going to be happy and healthy for us, but it does mean we will be with God. The God who loves us, who calls us his own children. The God that's using us to work out his purposes in the world. That's worth any cost. That's worth any sacrifice. We're going to um, celebrate communion in a second. Do this together. And one thing I love about communion, this is a, a, a ritual, a practice that Christians have been doing for 2,000 years. The night before he was betrayed, in every other gospel, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, uh, it talks about Jesus establishing the practice of communion. Don doesn't mention it. Uh, but it's effectively coming together around Jesus in that upper room, coming in and joining that upper room meal, being in the inner circle of Jesus, being invited into his space to receive, not just receive from Jesus, but to receive Jesus and all that he is and all that he's done for us. And to celebrate and remember what what it is that Jesus has done for us, that he died on a cross. He sacrificed his own life so that all that is in us that separates us from God is paid for and dealt with and removed so that in Jesus, we are now connected to the vine. We are now restored to the Father who loves us, the Father who created us. Jesus rose again, promising new life. And he ascended into heaven and will come back one day to make all things right once and for all. So in a moment, we're going to come. We're going to uh, uh, follow Jesus' um, command of, of joining in this meal together, transporting ourselves to that upper room where we can be with Jesus. Uh, what we'll do, uh, this, yeah, if you want to give me a hand, Anthony. Um, we'll come, we'll grab uh, a piece of bread and eat that um, straight away in your own time. Um, there's also gluten-free in the middle here. Also grab a cup and hang on to that so that we can drink that all together, receiving um, from Jesus. Jesus said of the bread, this is my body broken for you. He said of the cup, this is uh, the blood of the new covenant, my blood shed for you and for the forgiveness of sins. As we come, as we receive Jesus,
Let's think about being connected to the vine. Are we abiding? Are we dwelling? What kind of life are we living with God? Do we expect too much from God? Are we trying to live for him so that he might do things for us? Are we trying to live above him? We know better than God. We know that what he says about this doesn't really apply to us. Are we living under God, just feeling oppressed by all the laws and the standards and the, the, the pressure of it all? Or are we living with God, together with the one who loves us so much more than we could imagine? Let's come, let's share this meal together, and then we'll wrap up with a song. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.